All right, welcome back. Another episode of the Liquid Lounge. It is August 21st. I'm excited to have my neighborhood friend Jason Gilman on set in studio today. Uh, a little bit different episode. Rather than talking to you know a seasoned expert in the cannabis space, uh, we're going to be talking to Jason about his experience uh, running 37 retail operations in the record business, what it took to build that, what sort of words of wisdom he can share with us. Um, but more, uh, more importantly, um, you know, maybe answer some of his questions that he might have about the cannabis space and let this conversation just stay fluid as usual. We've got our mugs with whatever might be in them so we can enjoy our drinks on set and just have a very fluid conversation. So Jason and I know each other from the neighborhood. He is what we would call a successful serial entrepreneur who made it to the promised land of retirement. And uh, which is always the the ultimate exit, right? I mean, we we all have an exit by you know whether it's going public or by you know being acquired. Hopefully, it's not bankruptcy, but ultimately, it's to get to retirement. And uh, and you've been able to make it there. And you know while we're able to have some cool conversations over a bar and a uh, drink and a bite once in a while, um, the things that we've been able to learn from you, have, you know, been pretty uh, pretty awesome. And so it was cool to have you on set. Let's talk about some of those things. Give us a little bit of a history, Jason, if you would. You know about you know what you did um, you know many years ago in the record business. Hyatt is president of a company called Banana Records, which was a six-store chain of record stores. I knew nothing about records. <laughs> I, I came from a corporate life. Um, a friend of mine was the recruiter and said, "I need to get somebody that will be president of this company because they're going to go broke." <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> sounds like great criteria. I, I, I meet uh, the president at the time. He had uh, three or four shareholders, very big. One was the founder of Memorex, or one of the founders of Memorex. One was the president of North Face. Wow. At um, a big time lawyer. And this kid, he was a high school dropout, came up with an idea. This was before record stores were in every corner of an idea of building a record store almost on every corner. Anyway, real quick about him, he built this one store in Palo Alto. There's a box store in Palo Alto, right on the El Camino across from the highway that goes up to Stanford. The building is still there. Anyway, they were going broke. He needed a president. He felt that um, he, he couldn't run the business. He was uh, all over the place. We interview. I had just bought a house. My wife was uh, just had a baby. And I'm working at this corporate uh, coming out of Cincinnati in San Francisco for 17 years. And somehow I take the job. Same money, small amount of stock. But there's a part of you that just says, you know something? Yeah. I need this. Yeah. That's anyway, that entrepreneurial spirit. A, a year and a half into it, stabilize the company making money. The original president wants to come back. The truth is he and I never saw eye to eye. And what happened in the interview was people are not really honest with each other in an interview. You know, and interviews yeah. only go like, so far. Like a first date. So one of the things that happened as we got along, one of the things we realized is what he saw in me was a very organized, disciplined person. Why do you see that? Because he came to my office at iMagnum when I was working at the retail store. I had a desk that was flat. I had nothing on it. I, I'm very organized. I move paper around. I give it to if people work, work for me. Or I get rid of it really quickly. So he saw somebody organized that he could tell what to do. And when I looked at him, what I was looking at was, 
I'm going to be on my own for the first time. No one's going to tell me how to do my job. No one, I'm going to sit and waiting for somebody to open the door to his office so I could go to a meeting. So we, so they fired me. And I said to myself, what the hell am I going to do? I'm not never going back to work for somebody again. <laughs> so, so I started, I, feel... I started Rainbow Records. You want this? Yeah. I, I started Rainbow Records. And the beauty of the record business was it was manufacturer-driven. They gave you lots of credit. They gave you lots of advertising. They gave you lots of return privileges. They made it easy to get into the business. And because I had been at Banana, they knew me. Right. So the first two stores, my goal was I was going to open four stores and be done with it. And where was the first one? The first store was in San Francisco on Mission Street across from the old post office building. Okay. And it's what I call a rent deal. And what year is this? Oh, shoot. Probably 30, 35 years ago. Okay. I call it a rent deal. First year free rent. There were lots of construction going on. Free rent made it easy for me to open a store. Second store was in Stockton, California. Another rent deal. Free rent for a year. But the thing I learned about free rent for a year, nothing's free. Yeah, right. The business is awful. There's no one there. The construction scares everybody away. And my first two stores were basically dogs. I went out. I got a part-time job as a recruiter, in fact, and uh, just to get myself through this period. Two things happen. Banana Records is going out of business. They had a store at the Embarcadero Center then. Uh, that was just happening. I had actually opened that store for them. I get a call from the pre president. He says, hey, I think we're closing. You want to buy the Embarcadero store? I put a limited partnership together. I raised some money because I had no money. So I was the general, had some limiteds. The Embarcadero store stabilized who I was. It made money, cash contributor, okay. helped pay for everything. And then the deal of a lifetime came my way. This architect that I knew that was the architect for MacArthur Park in San Francisco says he's in Santa Rosa. He's with the manager of the Doobie Brothers. Awesome. They own a property on the corner of Steel and Mendocino, up the street from uh, the mall and down the street from the junior college and the high school. Perfect. So I drive to Santa Cruz, I mean Santa Rosa, and I meet the general manager of the Doobie Brothers, one of the nicest human beings I've I met. I mean, and one of the people that I realize is the type of person he gets me, I get him, and I could do business with and they could do business with me. Right, it's great that you so recognize that we're, right away. We're on this dirt. Ron Nunn was there, the architect, the manager, the general manager of the Doobie Brothers and me. And we made this deal in about 25, 30 minutes. 20-year deal, no personal guarantees. Ron Nunn would be the architect. They would build the building. I would get the records, the fixtures, the this and the that. We shook hands. They started construction. Man. Anyway, it was... Um, That's a real handshake deal. That, yeah, I, I did, through my career, I did quite a few of those. Would, now, would you say over the course of your career, the majority of your handshake deals worked out the way they were supposed to? So a couple things uh, when, you, when you say that. The answer is yes. 
That's great. Because they were people that, you know, you could get in trouble, which I did. I could sit and talk to them. I had yeah. a face-to-face -face relationship as opposed to, you know, lawyers negotiating a deal. Right. They were people you could talk to and work things out with. So I would say yes. I mean, I have to say a lot of deals weren't done like that, but enough. And the good, good. ones. Yeah, the, the good, good ones. ones. The good ones. Yeah. I, so anyway, I, Santa Rosa, it opened nine months later. And as I said, the store in Embarcadero stabilized me. The Santa Rosa store was a Grand Slam home run. Awesome. Grand Slam. I mean, from the first moment. And we did everything you, you know how to do to get that store to open, whether it's disc jockeys, painting faces, giving away records, doing, uh, you know, <laughs> store-wide sale. Experiential you type name market, it. yeah. We had lines out the door. That's I mean, great. get into the store. It was uh, a dream. Anyway, then I had two stores that are, Embarcadero's a home run. Santa Rosa's a Grand Slam home run. The two dogs are dogs. I spent my life going from one store one day to the next store the next day and living in the pool. <laughs> so that was store four. Yeah. And then how did we then, get the next 33? Okay. Then uh, Banana Records is going out of business. And uh, the president, we're not going to go into names. President calls me and says, uh, hey, I'm closing up. <laughs> it's like the cannabis industry, you, no names. <laughs> you want to take um, you want to take the stores off my hands. So there are some good stores there. There are some bad stores, but there are some good stores. Anyway, take long the good and with the bad. <laughs> long, and sh long and short. By the way, the Santa Rosa also was a limited partnership, and I was the general. The banana stores was also a limited partner. I took over the six stores. Seven, I think it was then. But once I had those seven stores, I knew that, I, hey, I'm going to have nine, 11 stores now. I'm going to need a warehouse. I'm going to need trucks. I'm going to need a buyer. I'm going to need warehouse people to pull the records. I need a truck. So those are the decisions that go into, you know, just not take over, but, right. hey, how do we organize right. this? How do we buy? How do we maximize? You know, the whole thing. How do we move music between store? I mean... So you have to set up that whole logistics thing. And so that was the commitment I made. Right. So part of that commitment I also made to myself is I'm going to get rid of the two dog stores that I were rent deals. <laughs> and um, I went to the landlords and they weren't happy with me. And I wasn't happy with them and went back and forth with them for I hate to tell you how many times. And they finally said, you know something, forget about you. We'll take the leases off your hand. Great. So it worked. It worked. Persistent. Guy I, from Boston. I, 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 had <laughs> nine, I had nine stores at the time. I'm cooking. So now, Business is good. In comparison, you were dealing with a type of industry at a time when, you know, there wasn't, you know, all sorts of awesome marketing and, you know, regular advertising that was available. Oh, yeah, no. You Tower were, Records was in business, right. Warehouse, Musicland in the malls. If you're from the Bay Area, Record Factory was here, Eucalyptus, So there was competition. It was, it was a brutal competitive yeah. business. And these guys know how to market. I mean, these are not people. 
Right. Would noon it a bit. Yeah, a lot of day. you are fighting for the same customers. We're fighting for the same customers. You got the same product on the shelves. This is not too dissimilar from what the cannabis industry is dealing with now, yeah. as more and more retailers open up, and you know they're creating different experiences, and there's you know a level of even though I, I I always you know I don't like using the word competition right now in the space because I feel like it's too early. I feel yeah. like bad business is competition, but everybody just you know finding some success helps the industry. Rising tide kind of mentality, but they're fighting for customer and market share and, and getting brands and their experiences in front of these customers in similar ways that, you know, you were having to deal with it. So like what sort of, you know, what sort of things did you have to figure out how to do differently? I mean, you didn't necessarily have a big marketing background or it doesn't sound like you had a huge team that was working with you right away. So you had to figure some stuff out on your own. You know, there are some talents that you, you just have that you've never used in your whole life. You know what I mean? That that come to you as you get through a business, and you, or you start get put to, in situations. You where get you put, have to... and then all of a sudden you say, "Hey, while well, situations come to you," I mean, in the record business at the time, the manufacturers are coming to you and saying, "Hey, what can we do to move Gentle Giant? What can we do?" I'm giving you titles that never sure. move. How do we move these? What are you going to do for me? And I'll tell you what I'll do for you. Um, Beatles love songs was one of the classics, you know. Is, and uh, Capitol Records had Beatles love songs, Gentle Giant, a couple other, whatever. This is what I'll do for you. Give you this much advertising. Give you this much. Uh, here's the here's the return authorization. If you don't sell it, here's the huh. return before you pay. All I need from you is to put out a certain amount of them. And then we did some display contests. Okay. So the stuff is displayed and took pictures. People in the store could win prizes. Pretty good prizes, by the way. Right. Trips, whatever. I mean, the record companies were really into promoting their products. Talk about the, you know, you told me a great story about when you had this idea about the, the recycling uh, bit for... Uh, for that marketing campaign, tell me t if you don't mind share that story because that was it's a great story. Well, at the time, um, there was a whole recycling built around aluminum cans and all sorts of things. So, I went to Seven Up Northern California. It turned out to be an incredible partner, incredible partner, and we came up with the idea of you bring in an empty can of Seven Up and we'll give you two dollars off. Uh, any record of your choice. Um, and if you bring in a lot of cans and you bring in more cans than anybody else, because we're recycling, uh, we'll give you a trip for two to go to Hawaii. And the record companies paid for that. Yeah. I mean, it's in it for them. And they gave you budget to advertise and all these. Budget I mean, to advertise. So on the 7-Up trucks, it said recycle at, at, Rain at Rainbow Records. And you're getting the Safeway in the local we, grocery we stores. with Safeways. And um, had uh, the whole thing with the cans and whatever. We did a couple of promotions with Safeway, actually. Uh, food for the, for the, um, the hungry. Um, what do you call those? The food banks. Food banks. So that's another promotion. Anyway, so we did this whole thing built around bringing a, a can, an empty can, a, a full can. So 7-Up shears and that. People brought it in. They really got into it. We had big barrels set up in every store. And then we had, which was a surprise, we had also people that were gathering cans because they wanted to win a trip to sure. Hawaii. 
And near the end, this truck came to Palo Alto. Actually, there were two different people that got into this. Loaded tens of thousands of cans. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up weigh, weighing them. And I mean, it was a, a, an incredible promotion. I was surprised that people sure. got into the can thing. And um, somebody won, um, they brought in like 37,000 cans, if I remember, give or take a couple thousand. <laughs> And it was a great promotion, and we repeated it again uh, one more time uh, the next year. It was pretty great. successful. And we got a lot of name recognitions out of there. 7-Up already had name recognition. But Rainbow Records, we had more than nine stores at the time. I think sure. we had 18 and 19 at that point. Um, so it was a great promotion. And we did the same thing with uh, food. Bring a can of food, and we'll donate it to the food banks. So Safeway had the thing set up, you know, and what was good for Safeway, they're selling cans of food. Sure. You bring it to us, we're going to give you two bucks off. And uh, we donated the cans to the food banks. That's great. Yeah, I know we had, those were the days, in my view, I was probably my most creative. Um, and I had a woman that, and two different ones over time that were equally really, really smart understood simple marketing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nothing magic about what we were doing, but we came up with some ideas. I think I mentioned to you the Rolling Stones concert. Right, right. Um, the patch, when you the ticket became a patch to the concert. Yeah, that's a good on one. On one side was your ticket, and you peeled it off, and the other, you could put it on your pan, on your leg, and it was $2 off every Stone album. And when you yeah. present it, and that's customers that, and the record companies pay for that because they want to move product. And if you bring them at the time, I don't know how the cannabis business is, but at the time, if you came to them with a creative idea that they could see, hey, this might have some legs. It's different than just advertising price in the newspaper or on TV. Yeah, or the on ability radio. to pitch the record company your idea, get them on board with it. If it made sense, they would back it. Yeah, that's great. And they were big on it. The record companies were terrific to work with in those days. So moving along, now you get to a point where you must realize this is the best it's going to get, or maybe you realize, you know what, um, I these aren't going to be around forever. Like, when did you decide, or when did you know that? Um, uh, it was time to start getting out of the record business. Never. 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 So the iterations of Rainbow Records, I told you about the two limited partners. Mm -hmm. And then um, there was another chain of stores called Satisfied Ear that was going out of business. They had about eight or nine stores. Um, we folded them into Rainbow Records. I won't go into the whole story how we hooked up with them and everything. And the fellow that owned uh, Satisfied Ear became a minority partner at Rainbow Records. Also was in the real estate business, so this company was finding us good real estate and that type of thing. So now, I was the majority shareholder, we have two, whatever. Anyway, um, and then we're up to 19 stores. And then we started opening stores and a bigger warehouse and a bigger this. And I mean, everything becomes bigger. Right. You know? Uh, you have a buyer with an assistant buyer. <laughs> you have a warehouse manager with an assistant warehouse manager. Right. And then, you know, the marketing person has an assistant. And you just start to build. So the warehouse is bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, But business was cooking. We were doing great. 
Uh, everything was great. I had a partner who's a minority partner. And um, I'll never forget, we went to the National Record uh, NAM, they call it, National Association of Record Merchants. It was in Florida. And we said, screw it. We went first class to Florida. We get down to this hotel, and there's these invitations. CBS had a yacht, and we were invited to go to the yacht to participate in the pre-party for the uh, right. And we both looked at each other and said, we made it. Yeah, we made it. <laughs> this is it. They, they recognize we're alive. <laughs> That's great. But, uh, you know, I had a great time in the record business. There came a time, a little more than halfway through, I decided either the two minority partners had to go or I'm going to go. They wanted to stay and keep the thing going, so I negotiated to get out. So I left Rainbow, and the two of them kept the company going. I then started, I got into the video business. I had a four or five stores called Video Playhouse when the video business was smoking hot. And I did uh, reasonably well in the video business. It's similar to the record business, mm -hmm. hit-oriented with catalog. Sure. Working with the studio, whoever It's the it is, same yeah. thing, Avatar. It, it, it's, a, it's a similar business. And it worked. I had great locations. I sold them off. I made I made some money when I got out of the, I got out of the video business just in time. There you go. Why did I get out of the video business? Rainbow was not functioning well. Having some problems. The partners weren't getting along. Anyway, one of the partners left. I went back, and now I went back with the idea we're going to go for it. So we raised venture capital two small fundings, venture capital, and um, started opening stores. And uh, we got uh, 35, 37 stores. And we were there when things were happening. The business was booming. It was run by merchants. The merchants were running it. They were giving, as I said, advertising, dating, you name it. And then the economy hit a blip. And then the, all of a sudden, and, and by the way, the record business had gone through iterations. You had cassettes and eight tracks, the eight tracks are gone. CD, and then all of a sudden now there's CDs and the records were dying off. Then you had cassettes and CDs. And then you had, I can't, uh, what the hell's the name of that company? Uh, there's a web-based company. Um, oh, shoot, I can't remember their name. Napster? Anyway, Napster. Yeah. And they started coming on. I mean, lots of things started happening and the economy turned down. The record company started being run by finance people, and the marketing people were not demoted, but you know, at a different level. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. I mean, the dating—if you don't pay in 60 days, if you don't, the returns are now they're going to charge you a handling fee. Advertising is going to be locked in at two, two and a half percent. Gotcha. The deals so that they the good old days, as you referred to them earlier in the, the good conversation, old days were was, gone. It was over. Yeah. And slowly but surely, bad economy, Napster, terms, everything came at once. And um, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you don't see the end. Although we did have a chance to sell a couple of times, but. 
you don't see the end coming and you think, oh, I'll close this store, oh, I'll yeah. do this. Is that, is that, do you think that's part of your entrepreneurial DNA? Because I, th I feel like I have that too, where you, you, you can't see the end or you're you, you don't blinded by what yeah. your vision And you itself. also think, hey, that store's a lousy store that's hurting the cash flow. I'm going to get rid of it. That one, I could get rid of those seven. I do this. Preserve these. In, in some cases, I sold. I had some mall stores. I sold some of them off. <coughs> so you do what you think is going to stem the tide so you have a place to rebuild from. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I didn't see the business dying to go from cooking to zero. What advice space. would have been helpful to you at the time? Like, what could you, if you could give your, go to your younger self and say, hey, by the way. I signed personal guarantees on the music. Never sign a personal guarantee. Okay, no matter what the situation is. Walk away from the best deal in the world, Okay, <laughs> in my view. All right. Never sign a personal guarantee because they'll never go away. And if it's a personal, they're going to come after you for okay. it. So, Jason so. Gilman, tip number one, don't sign personal guarantees. <laughs> what about tip two? You had another tip. Well, I had a really good time in the record business. I did really well. At the end, maybe not so well. And I did have personal guarantees, and I got hurt pretty bad. Um, but even to your starting you, you entrepreneur know self. You, know, you give it your dream. I mean, if you dream about it, risk. You know what I mean? Take, take the, the risk. risks. Okay. I mean, like I said at the beginning... Just bought a house, just got a baby. All I knew was the corporate world, but there's something inside of me that said, you know something, I gotta do this. Yeah. This is six stores that are going out of business. They're not going anywhere. And I didn't know one record from another. Never negotiated a, a lease, never did any of those things. And, but there's a part of me that said, you know something, I wanna be my own person. Yeah. I wanna be my own person, so you just, you go with go with you your are. gut and yeah well right on i really yeah. appreciate you coming right. on and talking with me and sharing those stories most importantly that advice that was really good um jason gilman a retired successful serial entrepreneur right. who has done what we all hope to be able to do thanks again for being here right, i really appreciate you. This it this was great this was great thank you